Hey everybody, welcome back to On Stage, Off Stage. This month of October marks a schedule change. From here on, On Stage, Off Stage will be broadcast once a month. With new shows broadcast on the first Tuesday of every month, repeated on the immediate Thursday after, and then rebroadcast on the third Tuesdays and Thursdays. Yeah, it's the same show as always, just half as much. All episodes are archived on onstagedoffstage.org, and we're on iTunes, so there's no excuse. All right, so let's get to it. Our guest this month is playwright, theater artist, and arts educator Bella Poynton. Bella will be having her play, The Aurora Project, performed on October 26th at the Kitchen Theater in Ithaca, New York, as part of the Dramatist Guild's Roving Reading Series. A series for plays that have had only one or two productions are rehearsed and read in front of an audience, followed by a talkback. Bella specializes in speculative and science fiction work, and this niche genre led to my first question. I probably should have saved this question for somewhere in the middle of the interview, but it's since I saw you wrote this, it's it's been right in the forefront of my brain, and I'd like to go into this. You wrote on Facebook... Because sci-fi is an avatar for feminist theory, that's why. <laughs> yes, you know, I, did. I, 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 ever since I saw that, it's the, that's the main question that I wanted to ask you. What did you mean <laughs> by that? Obviously, you meant what you what you meant, but when you said that, but let's let's expound on this. Sci-fi <laughs> is an avatar for feminist theory. This this sounds like a PhD in the making. <laughs> well, that PhD has already been written uh, by many people, but um, yeah, you know, I get asked a lot, why is this a piece of science fiction? Why didn't you just set it here and now? Why is this on a spaceship? Why is this uh, on a different planet? What is, you know, the purpose of, of, of doing that? Uh-huh. And sometimes I feel like I can never give that question uh, enough of an answer. People just don't, no matter what I say, it's not enough for them. Um, it sounds like but, a, a but, topic that you can just have hours of conversation about. It, it is. Uh, it, it definitely is. And, you know, it's come up a lot uh, in conversation with people in the last few months, uh, as I've been working on a play here in Buffalo that, that's sci-fi. Um, and it, it came up a little bit, uh, you know, when I was workshopping the play, the best answer that I, well, there's two answers that I usually kind of expound upon when I'm talking about it. The first one is, is that, um, w- you know, science fiction is a great, it is a great tool to talk about socially relevant issues without ostracizing groups that are um, that exist now. Okay. You know, we're we're imagining different futures uh, and we're creating metaphor for things that are happening here and now. But but we're not naming. We names. aren't actually part. Yes, exactly. Um, and and so by doing that, it allows the audience to kind of draw their own conclusions and draw their own kind of lines between what's happening now in our society and what's happening now uh, in our culture and, you know, to whatever's happening in the play. And that makes them feel smarter, obviously. <laughs> and also, 
And it also just, um, it, it's, a, it's a more complex uh, way of watching theater to, to have to make those connections yourself. Um, it, you know, and I'm, I'm, I'm not trying to say that there aren't great plays, obviously, aren't great contemporary plays that, that tackle these issues in, 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 a, in just as wonderful a way. But for me, um, you know, I enjoy kind of creating those metaphors. It's, it's part of the joy of playwriting for me. Well, it's, um, it's once you get into socio-political gender issues, you're going to raise a lot of hackles, no matter, right. no matter how you express it, no matter what your point of view is, whether whether it's conservative, whether it's progressive. Um, but I mean, you know, if somebody came out with a play, you know, about Donald Trump. Right. right. Oh, honestly, I'm sad I said that because I am so sick of hearing about him at this particular <laughs> point. But uh, he is the news. He's all over the place. He's on the cover of Rolling Stone. Somebody comes out with a play about it, and all of a sudden, we have pointed the finger at something, and people get horribly upset. But if right. we write a play about someone who isn't, and they come from the planet Globumexilon, <laughs> okay, you can have that, by the way. Um, <laughs> Then you know it's it's our own problems, but it's in a vacuum, and it becomes almost not dispassionate, but it doesn't affect us because it's not quote real; it's sci-fi. Right. But we can still talk about that as an issue. Is that a better right. way to you think maybe try and find solutions or avenues of of progress when it comes to talking about or dealing with our own particular problems? Um, I don't know if it's a better way, uh, but I do think that it's um, a good way. <laughs> uh, and, and it's a way that uh, I think right now is kind of ignored in the larger theater community. You know, you've got to write the issue plays. They, they have to be, you know, happening right now, um, which, you know, they don't have a super long shelf life in that case. Uh, and, you know, I was just talking to someone today about Donald Trump, actually, and um, we were actually just talking about this, you know, what play would you do right now to, like, address the issue of Donald Trump? <laughs> uh-huh. And we, we were brainstorming and I, you know, they said, um, you know, what about King Ubu by Alfred Jerry, which I don't know if you know the Ubu plays, but they're just kind of these incredibly grotesque plays about this man who wants to become king and and you know they're like it's all toilet humor and it's 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 they're bizarre and and um absolutely ridiculous uh and he's you know he at one point like poisons someone with a toilet brush and i mean it's just it's all like disgusting grotesque humor while he's trying to become king um, so, you know, something like that, like, it's not, it's not Donald Trump himself. This sounds fascinating. <laughs> it's I'm, very fascinating. I mean, <laughs> and. Are, are you familiar with the play Resistible Rise of Umberto Uy? No. Ah, uh, Bertolt Brecht. Um, oh, Brecht, yes. It is, because uh, gosh knows he was political like crazy, but it's an allegory uh, about the rise of a Hitler-like figure. Right. Who comes out of obscurity. This is, this is why it's really important to ask the question, why this play now? Uh-huh. Um, and instead 
of asking why this plane now, a lot of people are asking, like, why is it set in space? <laughs> and, you know, to that, I say, like, well, space is now part of our larger cultural landscape. You know, it has been now since the 60s. Yes. Um, we look up, you know, you know, uh, the shuttle program was shut down. However, we're, you know, we're going to go to Mars. It's a part of American culture now. So um, it's actually scary to me that so many people are like, why would you ever do that? And, you know, for me, it's kind of like, why wouldn't you? Um, why wouldn't you continue to inspire people to uh, think outside of the box of this world? Um, and the thing about feminist, uh, the thing about uh, the, the feminist quote from my Facebook account, you know, I, I kind of, um, this in the 60s, when most of the science fiction was kind of new world, uh, there was a lot of feminist, a lot of female writers, a lot of feminist ideas in sci-fi. Uh, what sci-fi allows you to do by creating a new world, by creating a new ideology, you're no longer bound to the patriarchal ideology that we live in right now. So you can expound upon, you know, the other. And anything that is other than our patriarchal ideology, you know, can, can be argued as feminist. So really, in a way, uh, anything that, that is a new and different idea of what culture is like in the future can, you know, you can argue that that's a feminist idea. So that's kind of what I meant by that. Does that make sense? It does. And yeah. I, I like that. Because um, basically you're you're absolving yourself of responsibility of pointing fingers at somebody, admiring yourself in specifics, whereas you can propose an alternate reality, an alternate universe. Right. And have that taken seriously. Right, exactly. I, I, I love that. So when... Did, and, have you always been interested in sci-fi? Um, got any favorite writers, favorite books? Oh yeah. Um, I mean, obvi- my work, obviously, <laughs> not obviously, because not everybody is a sci-fi person. But um, I didn't think I was, but I think I've turned into one in the past ten years. Well, you know, it's gotten um, it's it has gotten more popular. Uh, as you know, as it should, I think. Um, definitely, sci-fi has become. It's one of the genres that sell the best in 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 fiction. Why do you think that is? Well, I. Why do I think that is? Gosh, uh, how many books would I have to write? Um, <laughs> I mean, not not to kind of cop out and say escapism. Um, I I do think that sci-fi allows people to, to, you know, work out their brain, you know, it's a, it's a brain workout to kind of follow a new world and put that new world together in your mind. Um, and that's, you know, one of my favorite book, I, I believe probably my favorite book of all time. And if not, definitely top five. Uh, is Dune by Frank Ah, Frank. knew you were going to say that. <laughs> That's mine. Um, now, I read Dune uh, probably slightly younger than I should have. 
I was about 12 or 13. Okay. And um, I was just, I, I mean, it totally changed the way that I thought about the world. And it has kind of shaped that, it, it's definitely shaped me since that point. Um, and, and most of my writing is heavily, heavily influenced by Herbert. Um, it's a remarkable book. It covers so many issues and so eloquently and so deeply. And it's, I mean, the first time I read it, my mind was completely blown by its complexity. Yeah. And as I got through it, everything started to come together. And I thought, it's, wow, this is, it's, I'm, I'm going to, I've reread this book at least a dozen times. Yeah, I mean, it's, I think it's some of the most underrated literature in the English language. Yes. Um, it's, it's absolutely masterful. And uh, it's this beautiful example of, um, if not the best example of world building uh, out there. Yes. And so, you know, having read that so young... Uh, the idea of world building just became a part of what I wanted to do as a writer. And so as I approached, you know, as I approached plays, as I started to become a playwright, building worlds just seemed like something that, you know, was part of it that I had to do. Now, that isn't to say that I haven't written plays that are set in a coffee shop or, you know, in a living room. I have, but... Um, I'd like to think that my my stronger projects, my 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 um, my larger, more epic pieces, are things that are set in in places that are a little odd, more odd, in a spaceship or you know um, or whatnot. But definitely, Herbert is a huge influence. Um, Robert Sheckley, who is a short story writer, a science fiction short story writer. He's an influence of mine, very big. Uh, Ursula K. Le Guin, who has written, I think, some of the best uh, sci-fi novels ever written. Um, Isaac Asimov, uh, who, yeah. um, him. you know, created the idea of the robot as we know it, uh, and was also just an unbelievable genius. You know, uh, <laughs> that play... <laughs> that I imagine. Play, or I mean that that he Isaac Asimov uh, was was the biggest influence for me on the play that uh, is at the Roving Reading series, the Aurora Project, which um, is basically about a robot. I mean, he he doesn't refer to himself as a robot; he's a piece of AI. But um, most of the influence most of the influence for that play comes directly from Asimov. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, so those are those are my major ones. Cool. I I met Isaac Asimov one day. I was going you to visit. You did. A, I did. Yes. Um, t- which shows you how old I am, right here. Uh, it was in an elevator. We were the only two in there, and I was going up to visit a friend, and he got on the uh, elevator, and you know, he's one of the most easily recognizable people on the planet. He is. All right, and I didn't know what to say. I didn't know how to say it, and I'd been a huge fan of his books. <laughs> And I said, excuse me, are you Mr. Asimov? And he said, yes. I said, I, I'm a huge fan of your books, and I've, I've read many of them cover to cover several times. Uh, <coughs> it's, I, I think you're a genius. And he just kind of looked up for a second, said, yes, 
I am. And then <laughs> got off the elevator. Oh, my God. And I thought, I like him. I really do. Oh. Yeah, well, I mean, he was, though. So, I mean, I guess yes. that's why. Why wouldn't he say that he was? He why? definitely was. <laughs> so... <laughs> yeah, it was great. It was great. Let's let's move on. We, we we've we've got the Aurora Project, okay, which is going to be uh, read at the Kitchen Theater here in Ithaca uh, mm-hmm. as part of the Dramatist Guild Roving Reading. And I was looking it up online on your website, and you have one sentence which I also want to get into: uh, waiting, <laughs> okay. uh, waiting for the universe to get smarter. And yeah. I, I, as soon as I read that, my, my inner voice went, "Good luck." Um, but tell us about tell us about the play, and then we'll talk about uh, having it read. So, what what is the Aurora Project? The Aurora Project is um, a play that I wrote uh, a few years ago now about a. It, it takes place in the future, about a thousand years in the future, and. Um, it's about a piece of AI, uh, a, a robot named Constantine, who is created uh, to be the companion to a um, highly trained, genetically modified human being, a female uh, named Nora. Who and, and these two, uh, the, the woman and Constantine, are being sent out on a ship called the Aurora to do explore to explore. Um, and, and, and exactly why, uh, just they are being sent out is kind of talked about in the play. Um, and so Constantine, uh, is programmed specifically to care deeply about this woman and therein kind of stems the problem because she is mortal and he is not. So, uh, you know, they kind of thought, well, you know, we'll we'll program it so he will always protect her so she can continue to do her work. Um, and then the ship that they're on has within it um, these cryogenic units where you can regrow uh, Nora once she's too old to do any more work. So you'll have the same person with the same uh, abilities uh, for however long the mission lasts. Uh, and Constantine is very, very against this because he understands that a, a, a clone will not be the original Nora. So to to save her, he uh, freezes her and he waits for the universe to get smarter <laughs> so that um, she can live with him so that he can cure her. She becomes infected with a disease uh, so that he can cure her and, and be with her um, as long as possible. Uh, but of course she's still human. So that presents issues. So it's a play about time, uh, the passage of time. It's a play about, um, loneliness. Um, and it's a play about whether or not love is real, uh, whether or not it's real or just kind of a bunch of chemical reactions. If it's something that can just be programmed and and where the line is drawn. Can it be both? (laughs) Yes, I I, I think that it can. I think that it is. The concept Uh, of robots, of artificial intelligence, however you want to describe a functionally human-like non-human, 
having emotions. Okay. Having, you know, being able to fall in love is, has been a constant theme for a while. And this, uh, this sounds quite intriguing. The, the play is going to be done at the kitchen theater. Can you give us the details, dates and times? And that's, I believe it is October 18th. Uh, is that a Sunday? I'm looking at my calendar. Yeah, October 18th. You know, I don't know the exact time. I should, but um, I don't right now. Uh, I think it'll probably be in the evening. I think it's Uh, 7 o'clock. 7 o'clock. So October 18th, Kitchen Theater, 7 o'clock. Have you heard anything about the production itself? I mean, who they've cast, how it's going to turn out, or... Uh, I don't know much yet. I've been put in contact with the director. Uh, she seems lovely. Um, the man playing Constantine, who is uh, a young man named Luke Dombrowski, and he is, I mean, he's really kind of, <laughs> he's doing a lot of homework. Um, he's <laughs> doing an incredible amount of research on, um, you know, like the structure of the play and artificial intelligence and you know, cryogenic uh, sciences, and he's trying to find out everything he possibly can about um, the world of this play, which is, you know, like any good actor. I mean, but he's really going above and beyond, so I really appreciate that. Who is directing this? Evie Hammer. And, yeah, she, I believe, is a uh, a director in the Ithaca area. Okay. And, yeah, so... We've been in contact, but I don't think they're in rehearsal yet uh, because, you know, it's it's more of a staged reading than right. a huge production. Okay. Um, have you ever done one of these things before, uh, staged readings of, of your work? Oh, yeah. I mean, I you know, usually you start out with a staged reading um, for a play, and then once you have a staged reading... Um, you'll rewrite and rewrite and rewrite and rewrite. Yes. And then, (laughs) (laughs) and then kind of from there, you'll go into production. Um, the great thing about this, the great thing about the roving reading series is that these are all plays that have had one or two productions in the past. So I had a production of the Aurora project in 2013 at the science fiction theater company in Boston. And they did a lovely job with the play. And then the following year, I had a production at Otherworld Theater Company in Chicago. And they did a lovely production of this play where they kind of built the spaceship and and the audience sat inside the spaceship. Um, And it was very, it was very intimate. Yeah. Yeah. It was really interesting. Um, And so it's had these two small productions uh, and then what Roving Reading does is it gives you the opportunity to work on a play that's already had a small production, which is rare because, um, as any playwright knows, once you've had a production of a play, it's very difficult to get a second one Absolutely. because a lo- or, or a third one because a lot of places only want world, world premieres. World premieres, yes. Yeah. <laughs> which, I've... you know, I just... And I'm not, I'm not knocking this, but I just don't understand that. Why? I, I don't understand it either. I, I would rather see listings that say, send us a good play. 
Exactly. I, it's going to be a world premiere, or let's put it this way, it's going to be a premiere in Nebraska because it's never right. been to Nebraska before. Right. In fact, I mean, how many plays can you get that nobody has ever seen before? You're going to run out of plays in about a minute. And but also those plays aren't going to be very good. I mean, not that, you know, I mean, most of them just won't. I mean, I know that, like, something that I just wrote that has never had a workshop uh -huh. is not going to be nearly as good as something that I've been working on. It just, it's just, you know, common sense. So it a doesn't make any sense. A lot of people don't understand that. that I, I don't understand it at all. I mean, plays and, take work. They take care. They take productions. They take readings. They take workshops. And I know from my own experience, I'm constantly rewriting stuff. I mean, I've had a, you know, plays that have won awards. I still go back and look at them and go, I could change this. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, like, um, my play that is happening here in Buffalo, Speed of Light. Right. I mean, I'm still changing things. And this is, you know, we've been, we're in production. I don't change things. I don't give the actors changes, but... You know, I'm about to go into production with it again for a second time in San Francisco with a new company. And the script is still changing and it's still getting stronger. And I just don't understand. I mean, I, I could understand maybe like wanting it to be an area premiere. But wanting a world premiere, wanting something that has never been done before is just so silly. The plays are going to be, you know, the quality is going to be poor yeah. Yeah, or poorer. Yeah. Well, you, you, you technically... You, you see a play once and then its shelf life is done. Right. It's, and that's just so wrong. It, it is wrong. Talking about speed of light, I was looking on Facebook because you've been posting about it. You've been having some sold out nights. Yeah, we have. Um, it's been really exciting. Uh, the play is running at Road Less Traveled Productions. Yeah, tell us about uh, Road Less Buffalo. Traveled. Pardon? Tell us about Road Less Traveled. Roadless Traveled. Um, Roadless Traveled is a fantastic theater company here in Buffalo that focuses on world premiere plays by Western New York playwrights. And so they produce, they, they do a good mix. They do world premiere plays by Western New York playwrights, but then they also produce, um, you know, things that are um, really hot right now. <laughs> like uh, this, this year they're doing Farragut North and they're doing appropriate... Uh, which is being done at a couple of places regionally. Uh, and they're doing Freud's Last Session, uh, my play, uh, Speed of Light, and then they're doing uh, a world premiere by Donna Hoke called Safe. Right. Um, We're friends which with Donna just Hoke. Which has yeah. won some awards as well. How long is Speed of Light running? Speed of Light runs until uh, October 4th. Um, and this is in the brand new Road Less Traveled Theater. They just moved from the Market Arcade. Uh, they were they were kind of pushed out of that space, and they moved into the Forbes Theater in Buffalo, which is at 500 Pearl Street. And um, they re they they kind of built a theater inside of the theater. They kind of ripped out all the seats. It was like a 400 seat space, and then they they built this beautiful theater inside that huge room and it's kind of incredible it's it's this it's bigger than their old space it's just more impressive um i couldn't be happier the cast is wonderful it's gotten such some really great press um and so we're just kind of seeing how far we can go with it we've had some wonderful sold out nights 
So that's great. We're just trying to see what can happen. Congratulations. Thank you. Yeah. Since we're talking about Speed of Light being sold out and Aurora Project getting multiple uh, productions, you're obviously being very successful with your work. What's the market like for sci-fi plays? Does the oh. genre in any way limit their marketability? Oh, because I mean, um, it is I'm not quote, gonna lie. a genre. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm not going to lie. Yes, it does. Um, it totally does. However, this is the way I see it. I'm, I've kind of created a little bit of a niche. And there are also, there's other amazing writers who are writing in this genre. The masterful Mac Rogers is remounting his Honeycomb trilogy in New York this year. Uh, I mean, I would sell my soul to go. <laughs> I, I really want to go see that. Um, you know, uh, Adam Simkowitz writes sci-fi. Um, so does August Schulenberg. Um, I mean, maybe more speculative, but kind of like in the same vein. So there's definitely other people who are doing better than me who are writing <laughs> this kind of stuff. There's definitely a niche for it. And that's lovely a lot of places won't consider your work because it's too kind of far out for them. Okay. But I also like to think that, you know, if I was writing living room dramas, if I was writing kind of, you know, hyper-realistic plays, uh, as, as kind of are all the rage right now in New York, I would be up against an incredible amount of competition anyway. Right. So... By doing this, this kind of niche thing that I do, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm limited to a smaller number of theater companies. However, there are less people doing what I do. So it kind of comes out in the wash. Do you know mm -hmm. what I mean? Yes. Um, so uh, I would much rather be doing something that's kind of bizarre and off the wall uh, than, than, you know struggling for that one slot <laughs> and everybody, you know, like, you know, 2000 people are kind of writing for that one slot uh -huh. at that one famous theater company. Um, gotcha. um, yeah. and I truly believe that within, I, I believe that within the next 20 years, sci-fi in the theater will, will bloom a little bit and there'll be more companies that are willing to do this kind of material and the companies that still do it or that do it now and, and stick around, uh, they'll be bigger, they'll be larger institutions taken much more seriously. So that's it, my hope. It's a genre on the on the on the grow. Yeah, um, right. We've been talking about yeah. sci-fi, and again, genre. Um, but once you start talking about sci-fi, part of the brain wants to go to the other side of the fence, which is religion. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Right. Now, yes. you wrote a play called <laughs> Vicka and the Visionaries. I uh, did. You did, where uh, children continue to see an apparition of the Virgin Mary. Now, yes. as someone who is well-versed in science fiction, artificial intelligence, visions of the future, sociopolitical allegories that take place in places that don't have Donald Trump... Um, how did this particular play come around? Because this doesn't seem like it's something, it seems unusual for your motif, shall we say? Um, well, actually, uh, if I back up a little bit, my first plays were 
all religious inspired um, or inspired by religion. Um, I wrote a play years ago. The first play I ever wrote really was called Pope Joan um, that kind of laid out the ninth century Italian legend of the female Pope. Which is still uh, under debate whether or not she was real. Yes, it is still under debate. Uh, and the Catholic Church doesn't like to talk about it. They say it's not, you know, John VIII was either very, you know, an effeminate man or they, they don't really know anything about it. It was the Dark Ages. Um, I came across Pope Joan while reading Top Girls by Ch Carol Churchill. And I just became obsessed with this historical figure. And I really wanted to write a play about it. I mean, this is 10 years ago now that, that this that this happened. And I wrote the play, and um, the people at Boston University when I was there were incredibly supportive. They helped me workshop it. Um, it was done at Studio 210 as part of their season. And then they brought it to New York for the Inside Arts Festival, and it got some good exposure. Uh, and that, you know, I've always been interested in larger larger ideas, whether they be spiritual or um, whether they be cosmic. To me, those two words are kind of interchangeable. Uh, and I think that, you know, I was writing um, kind of religious, religious uh, themed pieces. And when I got to grad school, I kind of realized, well, these, 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 plays that have religious themes are going to ostracize people. They're going to kind of make anyone who doesn't follow that particular religion uh, feel kind of out of place. So I wanted to find a way to, um, to do the same kind of thing, ask those same spiritual cosmic questions in a different way. And I kind of arrived at sci-fi through some really uh, difficult you know, a thought process. I, I, I wrote a play called The Annunciation Play um, some years ago, 2008, 2009. And uh, that was done at Looking Glass Theater in New York. And, um, you know, as I was applying to grad school, uh, that play was very helpful. Um, I think it kind of, you know, had had the ideas that I was interested in. And, and when I, when I arrived at the, at my, my love for sci-fi, what I was really thinking about was the, the play is about the Annunciation to the Virgin Mary. Mm -hmm. And I thought, well, what if I kind of divorce, what if I divorce this from religion? What are you left with? So I was thinking about the Annunciation story. What is it really? You know? And I was thinking, well, if you're, if you don't know what an angel is, and you don't know that the Virgin Mary is um, a young Jewish girl. If you don't know any of these things, what is that event? And really what it is when you, you know, boil it down to its absolute essence, it is an encounter with an alien being, right? Yes. So, <laughs> so I thought, oh, really what I'm interested in is... The you know the encounter with the other, and that's very th th and that becomes science fiction after you really look at it for long enough. So that's kind of how I came to that. I know that was kind of a, a really roundabout way to get no, to what no, I was no, no, saying. No. It, it, it makes perfect sense. In fact, it reminded me of a, a 
possibly the only profound moment in the first Thor movie, um, which I don't know if you saw or not, but uh-huh. uh, I, I, Natalie Portman says something about, I, on all these years, I think, you know, you, you were gods to us. And Thor sort of looks at her and says, well, what you folks considered magic, we basically consider science. Right. Yeah, exactly. And it sounds um, like you know, the, the path that you took, you, you started off with exploring religious issues, mysteries and such like that, which is what science does. It explores right. mysteries and seeks answers. But we, we look at those answers and we categorize those answers in completely different ways. But I think the level of belief for both in its adherence is equally as strong. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of how I arrived at it, how I arrived at science fiction after dealing with religious issues for so long. Vic and the Visionaries is a play that I'm still working on. It's still in development. Um, and, you know, that that's a play that's, uh, inspired by the events of Me- at Medjugorje. I don't know if you're familiar with the events at Medjugorje. And I'm just, you know, I look at that story and I think, my gosh, what is really happening there? Is it possible that that they are really having some kind of supernatural uh, event? And And I'm fascinated by that idea. So that's where that play came from. Yeah. It, it definitely sounds like a fascinating idea. Um, I, I always wonder what the first people who saw the Aurora Borealis thought was going on. Yeah, they must have been like, wow. Whoa, what, what did we eat for dinner? Dude. Zach, what did we eat for dinner? How long have we left? I've been looking through your list of plays and in, in research for this, and you have an overwhelming amount uh, of strong female characters. Um, mm. And since we kind of started this interview off touching on science fiction as an avatar for feminist theory, I want to come back to feminist theory. I find strong female characters much more interesting because for some reason they have more possibilities to me. Nearly all of yours are female characters and they're very, very strong. I can speak to that in a number of ways, but I'll start by bringing up Viola Davis last night at the Emmys. Um, You know, I'm, I'm paraphrasing her, but she got up there and she said, you know, uh, now I'm not a woman of color, um, but she said the only difference between women of color and, and white women is opportunity. And we can't win awards for parts that just aren't there. And, you know, this is, this is an issue in the film community as well. Um, there's just, the parts just don't exist. And for women of color and for, you know, all women, um, they just, the parts aren't there. When you're looking at, you know, the roster of films that are coming out in the next however many months, um, how many of them have a female lead? And and you'll find that it's probably about 12%, uh, maybe even less, 8 or 12%, as opposed to, uh, most films have a have a male lead. Um, you know, for example, Marvel refuses to do a Black Widow film. They just don't think that it will make money. I, I mean, I just don't understand that logic. I, mean, I don't either, all... because she's an incredible character. <laughs> right, she is, and and that film would do really well, but they just won't do it. But she is the uh, only woman in 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 a complete boys' club too. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, so... I just... I came from acting. I have a BFA in acting. And I did some acting for a while, you know, uh, in New York. And I was incredibly frustrated with the kind of parts that were available. With the things that you would read on the breakdowns, you know. Yes, um, yeah. You know, uh... Hot girl needed uh, in one scene with main male character must be wearing underwear has one line. You know what I mean? Like, and that's kind of. Uh, you think I'm exaggerating, but it really no, is. No, I know like very well you are not exaggerating. I have seen <laughs> those listings, and I, I part of me keeps thinking somebody's just off on a tear of bad jokes. Right. I mean, and this, and they're this... not. Uh, it's it's a lot of it's a lot of young men in film school who are writing their own material. And um, it's very male centric. And a lot of plays being done right now are very male New York centric. And we need to move away from that. You know, we need to move away from that. We we cannot only listen to one story. Why don't we encourage more women to write? Why don't we? You know, I mean, when I was in high school, if I had known that, like, I could become a playwright, I probably would have become one sooner. But I just didn't even know that that was an option. I just didn't see any playwrights around me, let alone female playwrights. So I didn't know that this was something that I could do. I had no role models uh, in terms of writers who were around me. And I didn't at all believe that any story I had to tell was worth telling. And, and this is a problem, you know, because people come to it later in life and, and anything that you come to later in life is always harder to do. We need to create opportunities for young women who want to be writers to, to kind of really, you know, jump on that bandwagon immediately and more strong female characters all the time. People are like, Oh, well I'm looking for the plays with the strong female characters and they're just not out there. Well, I've heard that that's story changing. time and time again. <laughs> they're, they are out there. I mean, you know, look at the Kilroy's list, go look at that list and pick a play on it. And I promise you it will be a good play. <laughs> and I promise you that there'll be some great female characters in it. And um, we just have to start thinking outside the box a little bit. Actresses deserve, great actresses deserve opportunities to show off their amazing talent. And after coming from acting uh, and seeing, and being so frustrated, seeing those breakdowns, uh, being uh, disappointed in, in what was out there to be cast as, I thought, you know, this is, this is, partially you know it's partially my frustration but it's also a calling right to write great parts for women uh, i really think that that's um a noble a noble cause <laughs> and and it needs to be done so yeah i, I think i think any fight that goes uphill at, <laughs> at an extreme angle is a noble cause <laughs> we definitely don't have enough of those parts and we should have more so playwrights out there Strong female characters. Come on. We need them. Get cracking. We do. We do. We do. Ah, this has been great. This has been so much fun talking to you. Bella Poynton, thank you so much for being on Onstage, Offstage. And the roving reading, Aurora Project at the Kitchen Theater, October 26th. Do not miss it. 
we will be there in all of our glory. And thank you so very, very much. Thank you so much, George. This was so much fun. Yes, it was. I really appreciate it. I had a great time. Thank <laughs> you.